Welcome to week number two uh, in our series that we're calling uh, Me Too, and uh, we kicked it off last week, and uh, you know, it's a tough subject to tackle, no, no question about that, but uh, I want to thank so many of you that sent me emails or, or contacted the office about just uh, uh, how, how much the, the message meant to you and how much the series does. Um, next week, it's a three-part series, next week we're going to be talking about home to. Uh, and we're going to be looking at specifically domestic violence, uh, and, and I just wanted to tackle that issue as well uh, while we're in this series. Uh, but, but last week we talked about kind of a, a lot about the problem, and today I want to talk about the solution. And, and really, uh, so many people also were just saying uh, they know many that have been hurt, uh, that have been sexually assaulted. Uh, again, the statistics we looked at last week, 98 seconds. Every 98 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in the United States of America. Uh, one out of every four women uh, is, has suffered sexual violence. One out of every six men have suffered sexual violence. So the, the, the statistics are just absolutely uh, overwhelming, and we don't want to uh, kind of uh, be a church that kind of puts our head in the sand and, and doesn't pay attention to what's going on and what's in the forefront of people's minds. And, and so that's why I, I thought we would uh, do a series for three weeks looking at this, what, what God says in his word, uh, because there really is healing and there really is hope. And, uh, you know, just even since last week, we started last week, we looked at a passage in Timothy uh, where it talks about signs toward the end of the age and, and brutality, abuse, all this. And, and just even in our, you know, um, in the last week or so, uh, last week a teacher was arrested at one of our public schools. Uh, for having child pornography, a uh, teacher for over 30 years. Uh, also, of course, the shooting uh, yesterday, Parkland, Florida. And uh, the Bible is really clear. You know, humanity is not getting better. Uh, it's getting worse. And, and so we need to look to the one that can really give us hope. And, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And so uh, many people have said, what can I do to help and so I think this series, uh, this message in particular, I hope to hit, uh, kill two birds with one stone. One, for those that have been the victim of sexual abuse, sexual assault, uh, to begin to point in the direction of a healing process uh, that I believe God really wants to, to walk anyone who's been a victim through. Uh, but, but also for those that know someone, I want to give also some practical things I think we're going to see of, of where we can all step up and help those that are hurting uh, and, and help them in that healing process as well. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you go ahead and open that up and, I, and you'll be able to follow along, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures in this uh, healing process. I've called this message Unbroken uh, because that's what God wants to do. He, he wants to put those, those pieces back together uh, in the lives of those that are hurting uh, because of sexual abuse and sexual assault. Before we do that, just want to give a shout out to our Poughkeepsie campus, uh, those faithful folks that meet there, and uh, uh, we love you guys. We're one big church, one big family in two different locations, and then we, we have over 150, sometimes 175 people that join us online, and I can't even say people because it's devices. Sometimes it's family, four people around one device, so just uh, those joining online as well, uh, we just welcome you in. It's to all the Valley family, wherever you are. Uh, I want to start off by uh, giving you a quote. I heard Pastor Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, uh, he put it this way. I think this kind of touches on where a lot of us seem to feel sometimes. He says, it's always better to comfort someone imperfectly than to say nothing perfectly. 
It's always better to comfort someone imperfectly than to say nothing perfectly. In other words, sometimes we, we, we talk about this and, and we know people are, are hurting and in pain and, and we're like, I just don't know what to say so we don't say anything. And, and that's, that's, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. So it's always better to, to, to say something than to say nothing. It's always better to comfort someone imperfectly than to say nothing perfectly. And, and even last week, uh, uh, Susie and I and our, our small group, our community group here at Valley Christian Church, uh, we were going to talk about the previous weeks. We have sermon discussion. We were going to talk about the previous week's message. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And, uh, but it swung right around, and we were talking about last week's message instead. And uh, right in the middle of that, some of the, some of the uh, parents in the group, they were asking us, because Susie and I, are, we're almost done. You know, we don't really, uh, our, our kids are all college and graduating and all this. But um, one of them said, and I, I thought it was particularly insightful, they're like, thank you for kind of giving us the language on how to talk to our kids about this subject. And, and we just kind of shared, one of the things we used to do, and I encourage you parents to think about this, especially at this topic that's kind of tough to, how do I bring this up with my kids? You know, age appropriate, of course. But we always had sermon discussion as part of our weekly routine as a family. So Monday night at dinner was sermon discussion. And we required our kids to take notes once they were in here, you know, uh, sixth grade and up, take notes on what they were hearing, and then we were just going around, what was the best point? What stood out to you the most? And it's amazing, people listen differently when they know they're going to be asked that 24 hours later. Uh, it really is. So, so uh, that's just something that we incorporated, that we used to do when, when all of our kids were home. And uh, in fact, one of my favorite shows on television, they always have this family discussion time, uh, and it's Blue Bloods. I don't know if you ever watch Blue Bloods. They always have this meal once a week, and it's three generations, and they're talking about things that are going on and all. Incredibly healthy and incredibly helpful as well. So just want to throw that out as a parental tip, uh, particularly on the subject that we're talking about. Uh, you know, and I would suggest, again, sixth grade and up, uh, you know, would be appropriate. And, and uh, um, maybe what I say will help you and have some of that conversation with your kids ongoing. And uh, I want to recommend a book from the, uh, the get-go here. Excellent book uh, called Mending the Soul by Stephen Tracy. And, and actually, what I'm going to talk about this healing process uh, is right from this book. We're just scratching the surface of this, but, but this is really understand the healing from abuse from a biblical perspective, uh, and, and in some ways it can get a little bit clinical, but it's extremely helpful uh, if you want to be kind of really equipped and well-armed to help people around you. I highly, highly recommend uh, this book. It's fantastic, Mending the Soul uh, by Stephen Tracy, and that uh, title also is in your notes. So, so let me share with you what Tracy li uh, lays out as the, the healing path, and, and so these are steps in a way and, and so maybe abuse is in your background and you can begin to identify where you are on this healing path uh, maybe again you know someone who's been a victim and this can help you to be able to come alongside in some real practical ways uh, and help someone as they're in this healing process and this healing path so there's really six different steps or phases if you want to look at it that way the first step is this establish safety that's the first, establish safe, a safe place uh, for sure if, if you've been uh, victimized. Seek safety uh, whenever possible. Now, now here's an interesting thing. Uh, Jesus, there were a number of times in Jesus' life when he was not safe, that, that he was in grave danger, and he always did something about it. 
Look, look at this, and let's let Jesus be our example. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 59, it says, At this, Jesus was teaching, crowd got angry. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And, and so here's the thing. Jesus ran and hid. Be like Jesus. Follow Jesus' example. That, that even Jesus, here he is, God, and he realized he was in danger, fully man, fully God. They're going to stone him. They're going to kill him, and he ran away. He fled. And, and so there's nothing in the Bible that says in the face of, of abuse, stand there and take it. You, you, you know that there's something wrong with, with fleeing. Flee. In fact, I'll give you another example of it in Jesus' life. There's over six examples in the Gospels where, where Jesus' life was in danger and he ran and he hid. And this also is applicable for domestic violence as well that we'll talk about next week. In John chapter 11, verse 53, it says, so from that day on, they, that was the religious leaders of the time, they plotted to take his life. So, so because of what Jesus was teaching, the religious leaders in Judaism at the time were like, we have got to kill him. And then look at what it says. Therefore, because he knew there was a plot to take his life and it wasn't yet the right time when he was going to lay his life down, therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew, he hid to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. And so there's just two examples. There's four others. I just don't want to bore you to tears. But there's six examples in the gospel where, where people were trying to kill Jesus. It was not yet the time for him to lay his life down and sacrifice himself on the cross that he knew that was his purpose. And so what did he do? He found a safe place. He found a safe place and he hid. And so it's very, very important to find a safe place. And for those of us, perhaps that, that uh, we, we have not been suffered or victimized by sexual assault, what can we do? This is a real practical place that we can help. We can provide a safe place for the vulnerable. Provide a safe place for the vulnerable. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about this, that this is our responsibility as Christians, is to provide a safe place for the vulnerable. In Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, uh, the Bible says, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, it says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And, and so this is what men's breakfast a few weeks back I talked to the men about. We can't be passive about this. We have to be very much active and involved. And so right here in Scripture, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Rescue the weak and the needy. And so we can, what can I do to help, Greg? Provide a safe place for someone who, who's in harm's way. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, it says, don't fail to rescue those who are doomed to die. Don't say, I didn't know. God can read your mind. Some of us are saying, oh, snap, I didn't know that. Yeah, he can. God can read your mind. He watches each of us and knows our thoughts, and God will pay us back for whatever we do, good or bad. And so God, God can read our minds. And so we can't, I, I didn't know this was a problem. I didn't know this was an issue. I, I didn't know that this was such an epidemic in our culture, in our community, in our nation, in our world. Now you know. And so we need to do something actively. 
And then in Isaiah chapter 1, the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 17, I, I love this, it's very succinct. Learn to do what is right. Treat people fairly. Help those who are treated badly. That's our job. That's like job description of a Christian. Help those who are being treated badly. And so the first thing is establish safety. If you're a victim, find a safe place. If, if you want to help, provide a safe place for those who are vulnerable. Here's the second uh, part or, or step in this healing path. Choose to face the truth and feel. Or could I put it this way? Choose, the truth to, uh, choose to face the truth and feel again. And feel again. Because there's something about sexual assault, sexual abuse, that, that it kind of disconnects from the feeling and the emotion. And so this is an important step in the process. Choose to face the truth and feel again. L let me put it this way. <clears throat> well, because of the pain of, of sexual assault and, and sexual abuse, it's, it's very, very easy to try to numb that pain with all kinds of other things. But the second step in this healing path says it's better to face the pain than to numb it we talked about this last week as we looked at David who was abused and he said I kept quiet and it got worse I said nothing and it just got worse for me it didn't get better it got harder when I kept silent and so it's better to actually face the pain as difficult as it is than to numb it Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You, if you've been in church any amount of time, any church almost, you've probably heard this verse before, but it's kind of interesting. I want to unpack it a little bit. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, not on what I think maybe I need to do, but trust in God. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Even that healing path, he'll make that path straight. Trust in him. Now this word trust is, is kind of interesting. In, in the original language in the Old Testament, the original language of the Old Testament was Hebrew. Uh, in the Hebrew language, this word trust, it, it literally means complete reliance upon, which results, watch this now, in security and confidence. Put your security and your confidence in the Lord. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. He'll make your path straight. And then what's interesting, just drop down uh, uh, two verses from there. Proverbs 3, 8 follows that up. And look at what it says after trust in the Lord. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Isn't that amazing? How clear that is? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. And do you know what else he'll make? He'll bring healing. He'll bring healing for your body and he'll bring strength for your bones as well. And so choose to face the truth and the truth is, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my hope in you because it's better to face this pain with God than to numb it with something else. Here's the third step that Stephen Tracy outlines in his book, Mending the Soul. Tell and feel your story. 
Tell and feel your story. Tell someone about what happened. Share your story with someone. And again, this is a great place that we can help those who are suffering. Is to be a listening ear. We don't need to, you know, we're, we're not a, 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 a therapist. We're, we're not a, a, a psychiatrist or anything. But you know, we, we can just listen. We can just listen and help and be a listening ear. And so tell and feel your story. Recognize it, it is a part, it's your story. It's not what you chose. But when you begin to open up and to begin to share those things, God begins to just bring those broken parts back together again in a powerful way. And again, the scripture tells us real clear as Christians, this is part of our role for one another. In, in Galatians chapter six, verse two, it, it tells us this, help each other in troubles and problems. This is the kind of law that Christ expects us to obey. God's called you and I to help others. And sometimes that help is just the listening ear. And being honest, I don't know what to say, but you know what? I'm here for you. And whatever I can do to help, I'm going to help you. Because I don't want you to be alone in this. This is uh, the New Living uh, Version, but you probably recognize some of you, Galatians 6 2. Some translations put it this way bear one another's burdens. And sexual abuse is a burden. But we're called to bear one another's burdens. And, and so when someone says, can I talk to you for a minute? We, we've already heard, you know, some of our community group leaders, like all of a sudden, boom, just conversation, opening up. Because it's just giving free, just to talk. And, and, and I encourage you, if you have never done that, you know, open up and begin to share your story. As hard as that might be. Because, again, like we looked at last week when David said, I kept my mouth silent. I kept it quiet. I said nothing. It got worse. It got worse. And so begin to, to open up and tell and feel your story. And, and that's what we're here for as pastors here at Valley Christian Church. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're here to help in any way that we can. And so if you need someone to talk to, you can call us. We have uh, women on staff, like my wife, that are pastors on staff. Uh, we have men as well. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're, we're here to help in any way. We also have a great resource that's been provided for us by a member of our church uh, where we can actually refer as well because we're not professional therapists or counselors. We're, we're, we give biblical advice, and, and that's what pastors do, you know, but if it's something ongoing a little bit uh, deeper that's needed, uh, we can make a great referral to you to get some, get the help that you need. We want to help. We want to do all that we can to help, and so we're here for you, and so call the, the church office or email us, and, and we'll get right back to you, but it's so important. Tell and feel your story. Here, here's the fourth part of the healing path, fourth step, if you will. Identify the distortions and reclaim God's original design. Identify the distortions and reclaim God's original design. One of the difficult things about abuse, about those who have suffered abuse, all kinds of, you know, Satan's got a way. He just wants to kick you when you're down. And so one of the things that happens, all kinds of lies begin to be formed and, and believing lies that, that have, are not true at all. And, and that's one of the difficulties. And over and over again throughout Scripture, it's interesting that we're warned not to believe lies, not to deceive ourselves, and not to let anyone else deceive us either. And, and so it's important uh, that, that really uh, we identify these distortions and reclaim God's original design of who He says we are, not what we feel about ourselves. 
As we talked about a little bit last week about the shame that comes so many times. It's not the perpetrator that feels shame. The perpetrator should. The victim takes on shame for what happened, what was done to them, when really they're just the victim. And so it's important to identify the distortions and reclaim God's original design. Mark chapter 13, verse five is just one of these places in the Bible that warns us, Jesus talks about, don't let anyone mislead you. Don't, don't let anyone mislead you. There's just danger when we believe lies. In, in 1 John chapter three, verse seven, it says, dear children, is God speaking in, in his word, inspired word of God. It says, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you. There is a warning again. Whoever does what God approves of has God's approval as Christ has God's approval. And so over and over again, we're told over and over again, replace the lies that we believe and, and don't have to have been sexually assaulted or abused to believe all kinds of lies in your head. There's, there's all kinds that we just make. The worst lies are the ones we make up and we believe about ourselves. We, no one told us that. We, we just made them up about ourselves. And, and so this is, a, this is a big part of the healing process is replacing the, the, the lies with the truth of God's word. And so here's some common lies that, that often, uh, because of shame, that those who have been suffered and, and are victims, have been victimized, believe things like this. These, these are not true. I can't trust God because he didn't stop my abuse. God hates me. God is disgusted with me. God is punishing me for being such a horrible person. Those are all lies. Completely contradict everything in the Bible. Everything. Then there are lies that, that, that sometimes victims believe about others. If others knew who I really am, they would reject me. You can't trust anyone. People will only hurt you. Men are all alike. All they want to do is use a woman. No decent man will ever want me because of what happened to me. See, those are all lies. And, and that's the shame that, that, that just grips the heart. And Jesus wants to bring freedom and his truth into each one of those lies. And then sometimes those who have suffered believe lies about themselves. I'm permanently defective. My sexual urges show that I'm, a dis I'm disgusting and perverted. I don't deserve a decent guy. I would just ruin any real relationship. Those are lies. That's not the truth about you. That's not the truth about other people. That's not the truth about who God is and who he says you are. And so it's so important this fourth phase to identify those distortions and reclaim God's original truth, his original design. Once lies like these are identified, the abuse survivor can begin to replace each lie with the truth of scripture. And there's all kinds of books, and again, as pastors, we can recommend those if you're like, you know what, I need some help just finding some of these truths about who God says I am. There's all kinds of books that are just one right after, here's a lie, here's what the Bible says. Here's a lie, here's what the Bible says. Over and over and over again. Replacing God's truth with the lies that we believe, sometimes about him, sometimes about others, and sometimes even about ourselves. The fifth phase in the healing path is repent of deadness and denial. 
There's something that, that when a victim suffers through sexual assault, sexual trauma, that there's like something just dies inside. It's like something just dies. And you need to, by that I mean identifying it. Stephen Tracy used the word repent, repent of deadness and denial. Internal deadness and also external deadness as well. Relational deadness, we're just kind of keeping people at arm's distance all the time. And just recognize God made each and every one of us not to be an island, we need each other. We need each other so desperately. So just recognizing, you know, that's been a, that's been a safety mechanism that I've kept people at arm's distance. And I haven't let people in close. And I haven't trusted. And maybe to my own hurt. Because maybe, just maybe, God's begun to surround me with people that can really be of help to me in my healing. And so repent of deadness and denial. Recognizing that uh, our own spiritual poverty, every single one of us, whether victim of sexual assault or not, every single one of us, we're all spiritually bankrupt. That's why Jesus came. That's why we need a Savior so badly. And so that's why when, when, when this stuff, any kind of this stuff bubbles up inside, we need to lean in and cling to Jesus even more, not pull away from him and go in the opposite direction. Again, as an old football coach, we'd call that making a bad play worse. <laughs> you know, something bad happens and then we, we make a bad decision and one after that and one after that. And it's like this domino of all these bad decisions instead of just like, oh no, I'm feeling this pain. I'm going to lean into Jesus the one I need more than anything, instead of pulling away from him. Because this is bad what's happened to me. It's a bad play. I don't want to make it worse and compound it by making bad decisions in the aftermath of that. Interesting in uh, John chapter 6, verse 68, Simon Peter one, at one point, Jesus is saying some hard things, and Jesus always thinned out the crowd. The closer he got to the cross, the fewer people were around him. And he would say some real difficult things, and they'd like say, this is a hard saying. Who can follow him? Who can even follow Jesus anymore? And at one point, he makes one of these statements here in John chapter 6. You can look at it a little bit uh, earlier in the chapter, in John chapter 6. And, and they desert him, and they say, we can't follow him anymore. This is too tough. Then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you're going to leave too? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. So if you've suffered suffered the pain and the trauma of sexual assault and sexual abuse, and you feel that deadness inside, Jesus is the one that has eternal life. Lean into him. Cling to him. Drill down deeper in your relationship with him. Simon goes, there's no place else to go, Lord. No one else is going to give us eternal life. No one else has a word that's really going to bring healing and, and transform our hearts and put the broken pieces back together again. You alone, Lord. You know, I couldn't help but as I was preparing this song, uh, sermon uh, it's kind of strange the way my mind's wired i'm kind of off a little uh i kept thinking of that old nursery rhyme humpty dumpty sat on the wall humpty dumpty had a great fall 
all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Do you know what Humpty needed? Not the king's horses and the king's men. Humpty needed the king. He needed the king. And that's what every one of us needs. We need the king. We need King Jesus. He's the one that can mend our broken heart. He's the one that can put us back together again. We need the king. And so, also in uh, we cling to these promises that, that he is the deliverer and he's the redeemer. Look at Colossians chapter one. It says, speaking of Jesus, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Jesus is the redeemer. Redeem means to, to buy back something. Watch this now. To buy back something so many times that other people say has lost its value. And Jesus says, no. You're worth my life. I'll lay down my perfect and sinless life for you. That's how valuable you are to God. That's how valuable I am to God. That he gave his best. That he bankrupted heaven for you and for me. And so we, we need to say, God, forgive me for running away from you when I should run to you. Bring me that life again. The reason why Jesus, he purchased my freedom and he forgave my sins. And then here's the sixth point or, or phase or step in the healing path that's outlined by Stephen Tracy in his book, Mending the Soul. Mourning the loss and daring to hope. Mourning the loss and daring to hope. Many people don't even know this. There's a whole book in the Bible, one whole book of the Bible that is nothing except mourning, sorrow. And God wanted to make sure that it was put in the Bible. And specifically, the whole backdrop to it is the, the Jewish people, uh, the nation of Israel that was conquered and brought into captivity. And they were slaves. And you see this cycle all throughout the Old Testament. And just, just, just horrific things happening. And God made sure that there was a book of the Bible that actually was just men and women that had just suffered so much, just pouring their heart out to God. It's the book of Lamentations. That's what lament means. Lamentations. And even in the darkness of those laments, as they're mourning the loss of their nation, their, their freedom, just, just all this awful stuff that is hardly even imaginable, Lamentations is also a book of great hope. Great, great hope. Lamentations was written as Holy Scripture to teach you and to teach me how to mourn when we're overwhelmed by loss and that we can still find hope in God. Look at what Lamentations chapter two, verse 11, just an example. Lamentations 2, 11. I have cried until the tears no longer come. I've cried all my tears out. My heart is broken 
My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and they're dying in the streets. So I'm just, I am, my heart is absolutely broken. Where do we go with that kind of pain? We go to God with it. That's the teachings of scripture that we go to God with it and, and not pretend like everything's fine when, when, when our heart's in agony and broken within us. But God's, he's big enough to handle our broken hearts and the pain that we're going through. And then look at this in Lamentations chapter three. I love this, verse 21 and 23. Yet, all that pain, yet, I still dare to hope. How is that even possible? When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Every single morning, God has new mercy for you and new mercy for me. Which, by the way, just a side note, is really great to practice in marriage. If God's got new mercy for you, you ought to have new mercy for your spouse every single day. Susie and I try to practice that all the time. Like, okay, clean slate, starting all over again. If God's mercies are new every morning, Greg's mercies should be new every morning. Susie's are always new because she's an angel and she never does anything wrong. So there's always just like that. But, but I still, I, I dare to hope the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh all the way back to start with his mercies full of mercy every morning. I love that. So mourn the loss, but also dare to hope again. And I pray through this series, if nothing else, that those of you that have suffered and still are suffering, that this has begun to bring you hope. Because hope has a name, and it's Jesus. That's where hope is really found. So when I was studying, you know, it's one of the hardest things on a, on a topic like this is not what to say, it's there's so much to say. How do you kind of sort through it all? And I couldn't help but thinking about this whole healing process, I couldn't help but remembering a story about Jesus. One day the Bible says, it's pretty interesting, it says that it was actually noontime John chapter 4 is where the story's found. I'm not going to take time to read it. But he said he was in Samaria, where the Jewish people didn't go to, through Samaria, but he was there. And there was a Samaritan woman that came out in the heat of the day to draw some water from a well, which was very odd because of the intense heat in that part of the country. You would get your water, in that part of the world, rather, you'd get your water at the bef- no, sun up early, early in the morning or late at night. But this is in the noonday sun she comes out. Pretty much she didn't want anyone to see her. She didn't want to answer any questions. But Jesus is sitting there at the well. And they strike up this conversation. And they're having this, 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 this conversation and he starts talking about living water and I'll give you living water and all this. It's, just, it's an incredible story. Then at one point, He says to her, why don't you go and get your husband? 
And she says, I, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. You've had five. And the guy that you're living with now, you're working on number six, basically. I just thought about this story. What kind of brokenness, relational brokenness, was that woman dealing with? I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I, I wonder if she had been abused or assaulted. Working on a sixth marriage. Sixth marriage. And then she goes real theological on him and starts asking this theological question and all this, and he answers it. Then the disciples come back, and it's pretty interesting. She runs to the town to tell, her, tell the whole town about this man that she just met. Because he doesn't talk down to her. He doesn't shame her. Even when he said, you've had five husbands and the fellow you're shacking up with right now, you're working on number six. He doesn't say it in a way to shame her. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. Like, wow, of course he is. How else did he know that? But he spoke to her in the midst of her pain and her shame and her brokenness and he lifted her right out of it right out of it all and so I did a little search I found this really cool video I want to share with you right now it, it's, it's a woman it's modern day but it's a spoken word thing as if it's like the, the woman at the well speaking about this encounter when she goes back to her town to tell everyone about this incredible man that she met. Let's show that right now and then I'll come back and have a couple things to say.
John chapter 4, verse 29. It records what she said when she got to town. Come see a man who knew all about the things I did. Who knows me inside and out. Jesus knew everything about her. Everything she'd ever done. Everything that had ever been done to her. And he cut through all the guilt and all the shame. And even at that well that day began to heal her pain. So much so, who would ever say that? Come meet a man who knows everything about me. Do you think this could be the Messiah? I do. I do. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does when we come to him with our pain and our hurt and our agony and our brokenness. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't pile on the guilt. He doesn't look down at us. He begins to heal us and make us whole. And that's what he wants for every single one of us. Every one of us. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this incredible picture that is just almost just seared in our minds of, of how Jesus loves, that he loves without exception, that he loves wholeheartedly and completely. Father, forgive us when the pain of our lives kept us running in the opposite direction. And Father, I just pray today, in this moment, the stillness and contemplation, that Father, whether it's because of the pain of, of sexual abuse and assault, Lord, what no matter what the pain or the heartache is. Lord, I pray today that each and every one of us, Lord, that we would move in your direction with our brokenness. Lord, knowing that you already know all there is to know about us, and you say, come. We can come to you. And you want to begin to heal our brokenness and mend us and make us whole and transform our hearts. God, we don't need all the other things. We need the King, King Jesus. King Jesus who lived a sinless life. King Jesus who laid that life down as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. King Jesus who conquered death and the grave. We need King Jesus that we would be unbroken once again by his mighty power. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. And may we continue to pursue you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.